If I could get your attention, <laughs> we'll get started today. Appreciate y'all coming down here. They're having uh, some kind of big event out in the Great Hall. And I'm sure some of our people are up there at that, unknowingly. <laughs> when some other guy goes up there, they go, oh, I guess they had a substitute today. <laughs> but uh, we're here. This is our last lesson. It's our 10th and final lesson. You're supposed to applaud. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I will be back. <laughs> I will be back in September. And you'll be getting a notification exactly which day that is, but it'll be, uh, again, 10 uh, Mondays in, between September and, uh, I guess, early November. And uh, I have no idea what we'll teach, but it'll be something from the Bible, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> All right. And today's parable, we're, we're going through the parables of Christ, and today's parable is one of the last ones he told during the Passion Week, and so you can find it in Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles there. Turn to Matthew 22. And it's also, you know, you can make a note, uh, Jesus told a nearly identical parable in uh, Luke 14. And he adds a few details in Luke 14, so I'll be referring to that as well. But uh, it, this parable is about a king's royal wedding celebration uh, that was in honor of his son who was getting married. And uh, I'll try to get you to, to visualize the royal weddings in England that we've all seen on TV over the years. Remember the pomp and the ceremony and, and uh, all the grandeur of it? And uh, the incredible clothes that everybody wears, you know, the women had those beautiful gowns and the men are in black tie and tails and it's an incredible formal uh, situation. And so try to visualize those royal weddings in England when you're going through this because it's about a royal wedding. It's about the, uh, the wedding celebration, the wedding and this wedding celebration of a king there in the Middle East in the first century. They're just as big, they were just as big a deals as the uh, ones you see on TV that happen in England. So try to imagine that as we're going through that. Uh, the invited attendees were a very exclusive bunch of nobles and celebrities, just like the deal in England, you know, where the camera's always on all these different celebrities and everything. It would have been the same way back in uh, first century Israel and, and throughout the Middle East. Everybody would come in their most formal attire, so they'd be all dressed up to the max uh, with the clothes that they wore. And, on, and if anybody declined the invitation, it would be like, what? Who would decline this? Then you know, the greatest uh, feast and celebration in the history of the nation, you know, modern nation, nobody would decline this. So declining such an invitation would really just be unimaginable. And in the Middle East in the first century, they were, it was, wedding celebrations were really a big deal. No matter whether you were royalty or a peasant, it, a big deal was always made. Uh, weddings were, uh, the marriages were arranged, 
And so about a year in advance, they would be announced. And so they would uh, announce them. The king would send out an announcement that just about everybody would hear. Uh, And then later, when they fixed the exact date, the king would send like written invitations telling everybody, the people who would be invited, exactly when and uh, and et cetera, et cetera, all the details of the wedding. So after that, in in today's parable, there would be a huge celebration after after the wedding and a big feast. And of course, no one would want to miss that. You know, the biggest party of the year or something like that, you just wouldn't want to miss it. And so the guests were expected, when they sent that written invitation out, the guests were expected to RSVP. They were to respond, we're definitely coming, so they could plan it and know how many people and the whole deal. And it was just almost uh, uh, assumed that everybody would come, but they were required to respond. And to reject the king's invitation would be a huge insult to the king, so nobody would uh, do that in your wildest imagination. You wouldn't reject the king. And in Jesus' story, he uses uh, this well-known tradition to illustrate that spiritual truth that he was trying to get across to the uh, people that were listening, uh, in this case, to the religious leaders of Israel. It was a spiritual truth they didn't understand that Jesus was trying to get across, and so he told this story uh, that was very traditional that they would completely understand to illustrate what they didn't understand. And in this parable, uh, amazingly, in in today's parable, the invited guests, which stand for Israel, by the way, this is all metaphorical. So the the wedding feast, you know, is between uh, God's son and the church, or the people who would believe and be saved. That's, That's what it represented. And the invitation was God's initial invitation to Israel. If you go back, remember when we studied Exodus uh, last year? And at Mount Sinai, God gave that great invitation through Moses to all of Israel to come and be my favored nation, a kingdom of priests set apart to me, etc., etc. And so God had issued the invitation way back then that they supposedly uh, would uh, receive and they would also buy into this. Yeah, we'll do that, if you remember the story. Uh, but now, you know, they don't respond. Now that the date has been set, there's no response at all. So it's kind of wild that Israel wouldn't respond. So the king sends out his servants, and in this case they represent the prophets. So in the Old Testament, the, when Israel rejected God and got involved in idolatry, you might remember that God sent the prophets. Initially, all these prophets like Elijah and Elisha went to Israel and tried to convict them of their sin, their idolatry, and tried to get them to come back to the Lord, to repent and come back to the Lord. So that's really what he's talking about in the parable, that he sent his servants out with another invitation. So the servants he's talking about in the parable represent the prophets that God sent to communicate directly to the people. And not once, but in the parable he did this twice. So God is obviously very patient and gives every opportunity for people to come. Very patient, very loving, giving every opportunity to come. But in the parable we see that the invited guests 
paid no attention, it says, quote. No attention. They just ignored it. And even worse than that, being indifference bad enough, uh, and we find out, well, what was the problem? Why couldn't they come? And they give all these lame excuses. I'm too busy. I've got something else that day. I've got a farm I've got to tend to. Uh, you know, all of them were lame excuses in the parable. So there's really no excuse at all for declining or for not showing up. The only reason they don't come is because life is all about them. In the parable, it's all about their personal pursuits. It's all about uh, the stuff they've got going on, their activities, their property, the whole deal. And so they're totally wrapped up in that, so they're not interested at all in what the king's doing. And of course, again, that represents people who reject God because they're so materialistic or they're so involved in everything they're doing, they just couldn't be bothered. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The leadership of Israel was like that in the first century when Jesus came and announced that the kingdom has come and I'm going to set it up. They just ignored him or even worse in the parable, they even took the servants and killed them. And so... Obviously, that's not going to go over well with the king. And it's not going to go over well with God either, is what Jesus is trying to communicate. You know, when you kill the son, when you kill the prophets and you kill the son, you know, that's not going to work. God's not going to just roll over and look the other way. There will be consequences. And so in the, in the, story, uh, in the story, the city where they all are is destroyed. And, of course, that represents Jerusalem. Jesus is not only giving the consequences, but he's actually predicting this is prophecy about what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Because he's telling this story, this parable, this is during the Passion Week, he's in Jerusalem. And he's really predicting, and this wasn't the only time he did it, he did it throughout uh, the Passion Week, and he was talking about Jerusalem in 70 A.D., just a few years later, you all know what happened, Rome came, they had a rebellion, Rome came, put it down, completely destroyed the entire city, the temple, burned everything to the ground, took all their stuff, killed most of the Jews, and the ones who were remaining, they tried to take off into captivity as slaves. And that's what Jesus is predicting is going to happen. Terrible, terrible consequences. And then what happened in, in the parable, uh, he sends the servants out, he had a very exclusive invitation list, but now he tells his servants, go out and invite everybody. Go out to the roads and the highways and the distant lands and invite everybody. So now the invitation goes out to whoever will respond. And of course that's what Jesus did. He sent the 12 apostles that wrote the New Testament and that evangelized that Mediterranean world. 12 apostles, Peter, James, John, Philip, Paul, all these guys, Jesus sent out in every direction to offer the kingdom to whoever would believe, whoever received Jesus as their Savior and believe. And that's what happens in the parable. The king sends his servants to invite anybody and everybody, even sinners, you know, to come to the wedding feast. And in those days, another um, tradition that they would do uh, a king would do, he would provide the wedding garments that everybody was supposed to wear to the uh, celebration. So he would make provision for everybody to come in a way that would honor the king. 
And of course, in the same way, Jesus is telling them and that represents the fact that God has prepared a way, He has made provision for our sins to be atoned for. He has sent Christ into the world to die for our sins, a sacrifice for us to atone for our sins. And by receiving God's uh, sacrifice, His provision for our sin, we come to the party in that way. Not in some other way, not in just any way, not in your way, in God's way. And so in the parable, you're going to see some clown coming in and just, you know, nasty old clothes. And the king says, wait a minute. What are you doing? And the guy says, well, this is who I am. This is what I wear. You know, I'm a surfer dude down on the beach, and so I just came up here. Think of a guy in shorts and sandals or something. You know, flip-flops, right? And he just comes in and says, hey, baby, this is who I am, you know. And the king says, no. No, that's not going to happen. Take this bum, show him the exit. You've got to come in God's way. And the parable makes that clear. Uh, and so the question you know, that we've got to ask and, and is being, I think, asked and answered in the parable is, why did they reject the invitation? Who would do that? Jesus told, if you've noticed, a bunch of these parables... Uh, are about money. And a bunch of these parables about why the son is rejected, the king, offer of the kingdom of God is rejected, and the emphasis always seems to do, have to do with materialism. Have you noticed that? I saw this great story, a joke, really, about, uh, that, that kind of illustrates that. A yuppie was driving his uh, BMW down the highway, uh, missed, a, missed a turn, and had a wreck, a serious wreck. And uh, in the wreck, his arm was severed. And so the paramedics come and they pull him out of there. And he turns as they're pulling out and he goes, My BMW! My BMW! And the paramedic says, Mister, you've got a much bigger problem than that. Look. Points to his arm. He looks down. His arm's gone. He says, My new Rolex! My new Rolex! <laughs> That's really what the world does, isn't it? They're so wrapped up, they don't notice the things that are really important. You know? You've got 40 or 50 years on this earth compared to eternity in heaven, but everybody's totally focused on the here and now. It's crazy. And that's the point that Jesus is making throughout all these parables. So let me set the context of this parable, uh, Matthew 22 and Luke 14. And this, you probably may not have recognized this, and I don't think many people see this. But this all happened on a Monday. Jesus comes Palm Sunday, which was yesterday. We celebrate that yesterday, Palm Sunday. Jesus came into Jerusalem. We call that the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. And the Gospel of Mark says that the last thing Jesus did was go into the temple, scope it out, see what was going on there, which means he saw all the money changers and all the guys selling animals and all the vendors up there on the temple mount. And by the way, don't be confused when, when the uh, Bible's always talking about the temple. It's not just talking about one little building. It's talking about this huge complex of buildings up on top of Mount Moriah that they built up there, including the actual temple and the courtyards around it. And so just outside the, the, the courtyards of the temple, on that same temple mount, 
you would have this huge uh, area for um, people to buy and sell all the animals that were going to be sacrificed. They were also buying and selling souvenirs and all, this, all these different things up there. It became a huge marketplace. This was supposed to be the house of God, and they're up there. They're making a fortune. It's one of the greatest retail operations that you've ever seen. And, of course, on uh, the Passover, which was what was going on here, this was the Passover week, there would be, you know, the city would, there would be ten times more people in Jerusalem, and most of them would be up there uh, in the temple area. So there would be this huge crowd. Everyone was supposed to sacrifice a Passover lamb for their family, every family. And it's estimated, Josephus says, that they usually uh, sacrificed three or 400,000 lambs on that day. And Moses, in, in his Mosaic Law, said, you've got to sacrifice on Passover for every family an unblemished lamb, an unblemished lamb. Well, being good lawyers, the Pharisees and all the uh, teachers of the law said, okay, let me tell you what unblemished means. It means the ones we sell. <laughs> and so they had a monopoly. You know, those monopolies, you know, are very lucrative, right? So they could charge whatever they wanted for these little lambs. And not only that, they, they said, well, you can't, this is the temple, you can't use Gentile money. So you've got to have it exchanged for temple money. So they had this great money-changing business up there where you'd bring your Roman money in there, your coins, and they would exchange it for temple money. Then you could go and gave you the ability to go and buy these overpriced animals. You know, if you were uh, normal means, you could buy a lamb, but if you were extremely poor, you could buy uh, doves or pigeons or something like that, some kind of bird uh, to sacrifice that was real, real, much more inexpensive. So they had this incredible business going on up there. And keep in mind, they had accused Jesus, if you remember, of every crime. He was a heretic. He was blasphemy. He was a rebel. He had committed treason and on and on, anything, because they were conspiring for him to arrest him and kill him, you know, to get him out of the way. And so now in, uh, during the Passion Week, on Monday morning, he comes into the temple, and you know the story. He goes up on the temple, and he sees the money changers and all the vendors selling the animals and, the, and everything, and he goes in and flips over the tables, and he runs all those guys, drives all those guys out of there. So he ends this business, at least for the time being, that, that they have, right? Nobody uh, that, that has a license to steal wants anybody to take away their license. You ever notice that? Uh, and they, he literally took away their license to steal for a short period of time, so they were very upset. So in Matthew 21, after he turns over that, runs those people out, ends their business, maybe for that day, verse uh, Matthew 21, 23, it says, When he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people, so all the religious leaders, came up to him and said, By what authority are you doing this? What makes you think you got the right to do this? Who are you to shut down our business? Because their rationalization for what they were doing was, We provide a service. You've got to have an unblemished lamb. We're providing it. You've got to have this money to buy it. We're providing it. So we're providing a service. Now, that was their rationalization. Uh, so they came to him and said, 
Why in the world would you do this? And who gave you authority? We're the people running this deal. And so Jesus, instead of giving them a straight answer, he always explained uh, what he was doing in parables. And, he, and remember the very first lesson we had, we said, why did he teach in parables? They asked him, why are you teaching in parables all of a sudden? He said, so the believers would understand and the unbelievers wouldn't. Which sounds totally unfair. And, but we talked about, about why it is completely fair. Because it, it, number one, it avoided arguments. If he'd have told them a straight out deal, then they would just had some long debate and he would have had to you know, argue with them all day. But by telling these parables, now all the people who really care, all of his followers, understand what's going on. And the religious leaders would just kind of walk away scratching their head like, what did he say? You know? And so he, ta- he tells four parables uh, there in Matthew 21 and 22. Each of the parables, it's the parable of the fig tree, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked vine growers, and then the one we're looking at today, the, the parable of the wedding feast. Each of them has the same message. The failure of Israel to accept and believe in God's Son. They rejected the invitation. They rejected God's Son. And so uh, this is an, these parables are an explanation of why they rejected Him. And what is going to happen, and not only that, the fact that God is now going to turn to individuals. Whosoever will believe the gospel, the good news, is going out to everybody. And of course, all the prophets, and particularly Isaiah, predicted this. He predicted that uh, the Jews, the prophets, and the Messiah would be offered to the whole Gentile world, to everybody in the whole world. And, and that's what's going to happen. You'll, that's what's happening in the parable. So uh, turning to Matthew 22, Jesus answered again. All, the, all these four parables, this all happened on Monday, right after he cleansed the temple, and they're asking this question. That's the context. Who are you to do this? Why are you doing this? Why are you shutting down our business? What authority do you have? And so he tells these parables to explain that. And, of course, the 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 uh, parable of the two sons. One son, he uh, disobeyed, and, but then later repented and came. That's the Gentiles. The other son uh, said he would come. That's Israel. And then he didn't. So that's the, that's the parable of the two sons. And the parable of the vineyard, uh, the, the landowner, which would be God, rents out the vineyard to the vineyard growers, vine growers, that would be Israel, he does everything for them. He gets the best land. He tills the soil. He builds the wall, the watchtower, waters it, fertilizes it, everything. And the agreement is they have to bear fruit and give him part of the crop. They're like sharecroppers. But in the parable there at the end of uh, chapter 21, what happens? They refuse to pay. They don't bear any fruit and they refuse to pay the vineyard owner. And so it ends, ends with it by Jesus say, Therefore, verse 43, 21, 43, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And he points to the religious leaders, meaning Israel, and be given to a nation, the church, which will produce the fruit of it. And did they understand this? Yeah, verse 45. 
And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. And they wanted to arrest him and kill him, but the crowd was still on his side, and they couldn't do it. And so then Jesus went right into the next parable, which we're looking at today, the parable of the wedding feast. So chapter 22, verse 1, Jesus answered again and spoke another parable. So all this is on that same Monday. He's up on the temple teaching. And he said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. And so what is this? This is a comparison. It's a metaphor. It's a figurative speech. You know, the heaven will be just like this wedding feast that he's going to give. And, and why would he do this? Again, they understood wedding feasts. They understood how important that was and why everybody should come and how outrageous it would be if they didn't come. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call, or servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. They were already invited at Mount Sinai through Moses. It was directed specifically to them, exclusively to them. And they were unwilling to come. So nobody, nobody responded. And again, he sent out other slaves, other servants. These are the prophets saying, tell those who have been invited Behold, maybe they don't get what this is. Maybe they don't understand this is my son. Maybe they don't get how important it is. Maybe they don't see that this is going to be a great party with great food, drink, every entertainment, the whole deal. Maybe they don't know that. Go tell them. Give them every chance. Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. The oxen and the fattened livestock are all butchered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. With full expectations that they would come. But what happened? No, they paid no attention. They were indifferent. Not interested. And they went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest, even worse, seized these servants, which represent the prophets, and even beat them up and even killed them, mistreated them and even killed them. That's a shocker, man. I mean, you can't even imagine that happening. How could that be? Why would the outrage of that? Biggest, big enough outrage that they wouldn't come, but to, to abuse the prophets? Incredible. And this just can't be, so the, the king gave them yet another opportunity. Servants sent out again, and uh, they, it's clear now that they're not coming. Uh, Luke 14, and they gave all these lame excuses. So why wouldn't they come? Because they're just involved too much in their own stuff, their own business, their own activities, their own social life, the whole deal. Through their own busyness and the materialism, they just weren't interested in, in what the king was doing and what God's program is. No interest. Uh, Luke 14 gives a few more details uh, about that. They, they were pursuing their own interests and the concerns and worldly pursuits. They were indifferent. They were busy. They were distracted, etc., etc. All lame excuses. Right? And you, we, we've all invited people to stuff and they came up with some lame excuse and and you knew it was, you know. So we know uh, how people do this. Uh, 
And so basically they got two, two uh, responses at the end of the day. Indifference or even hostility. Indifference or even hostility. And if you look at the world today we live in, what, what generally, the human race, how are they responding to God's program? Indifference or hostility. You know, they either are angry at God or they just don't care. Right? I mean, that's the biggest problem I got is people who've got really a good life and everything's fine, so they, they just don't care. You know? They don't need to come to Christ. They don't need to study the Bible. They just, they've got an active, busy life, and they're, they're just not interested, right? And so that's the people that, that won't come to uh, the wedding feast, which represents the kingdom of God in this uh, story. Uh, and so what happens? He turns to his servants and says, okay, they're not coming. The message is loud and clear. I've given them every chance. So now go out to the, the highways and all the towns and villages everywhere and bring in anybody who will come. Anybody who will accept the invitation, tell them to come. And it's kind of like, you know, give them a godfather deal, an offer they can't refuse type deal, but get people to this wedding. And so he says, verse 9, Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered together all that they found, both evil and good. Now, that, I take it that means people that the world sees or people who were relatively good and evil. And of course, all the stories, and we've covered all these stories in the last 10 weeks, about the sinners and the tax gatherers and the prostitutes that were coming to Christ, which horrified the religious leaders. Why would you have anything to do with those people? Well, here, the invitation goes out to them, and they actually accept it because they repent and they believe. That's why they come because they repent and believe. You, you don't repent and believe. You think you've got it all taken care of by yourself based on your own works and your own performance and who you are. So you will not come. And, uh, and in, they, they, they all come and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests there in verse 10. And so all the people who believe and repent, you know, come to God and will be in the kingdom of God. But there's a qualification I hate those. There's a big qualification about coming. You've got to come the way the king has prescribed it. You have to come in a way that honors the king and his son. You can't just come anyway, your own way, some way. You've got to come the king's way. So look at what he says. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests... He saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. He had shorts and a flip-flops on. Right? No offense to any of y'all who like shorts and flip-flops. That's fine for the beach. But for the royal wedding, can you imagine the, one of those royal weddings on TV that you've seen with all the well-to-do and some guy slob walks in with shorts and a flip-flop? They would have sent him to the exit immediately. And what was the problem? there was a special attire that you were required to wear to honor the king. And what did they do? They came their way, 
according to the way they liked to dress and who they were, etc., etc. And so he saw this person not dressed in wedding clothes. And remember, the king usually provided the wedding clothes. So this guy, it wasn't that he couldn't afford it. He just, not going to do it. We'll do things my way. I'm in charge here. And so look what happens. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? What's your defense? What have you got to say for yourself? And he was speechless. There is no defense. There will be no defense on judgment day when you come before God and you say, well, I thought I'd do this other thing, do things my way. And I was busy that day. I didn't have time. You think God's going to go, oh, well, in that case, come on in. No, God's going to show you the exit, right? And I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' very first sermon. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, what did he say? Not everyone who professes to believe in me shall be in the kingdom. But on judgment day, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, and use my name, and I say, I don't know you. Out. What was Jesus saying? you got to come according to the truth. You don't come just anyway. Just because you use Jesus' name and claim to be a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to be in the kingdom of God. Because you have to come in a way that honors God's Son. And He is God's provision for you're in my entry into the kingdom. And that's, that's what this is all about. So the guy had no defense... And the consequences are, the king said to the servants, bind him. <laughs> Get him out of here. Cast him into the outer darkness and into that place there will be gnashing and weeping and what have you. And here's the summary statement that, that kind of blows your mind. Makes you think, what does he mean by that? For many are called, but few are chosen. What's he saying? I mean, he's basically saying the invitation goes out to everybody, but at the end of the day, only people, uh, who, the only people who are actually chosen to be in the kingdom are those who repent and believe. Right? Uh, and so that's what Jesus was saying. You know, there might be a whole lot of people that try to come and use my name, but it's got to be according to God's way. They have to repent and believe and the atoning work of Christ on the cross done for their benefit. That is the basis and the means for entry into the kingdom. And you receive it by faith. So that's his summary uh, statement there. Uh, and then uh, looking back over this parable, let me just give you, uh, first of all, historically, there were three invitations, three or four invitations just like in the parable. First of all, as I mentioned in Exodus 19, the invitation went out to the, exclusively to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. Then secondly, there were explicit and urgent messages sent out through the prophets. These prophets represented God. They spoke for God. And the last of those prophets that we have in the Bible that, that did that was John the Baptist. And of course, what did John say? Repent, get ready, 
you know, change your mind. You used to think one thing, now think another. You used to think you were saved by works, but now get ready for God's provision for your sin, which is who will be your Savior, Jesus Christ. Get ready for Him. The kingdom is at hand. And they, what'd they do? Did they treat Him nicely? They killed Him. They killed Him. And then the third uh, historical invitation is that wide call to all individuals by God's apostles. Christ chose his 12 apostles, sent them out, including, and then also Paul, to everybody all over the world to offer the invitation to whoever would believe. And so all the Gentiles and sinners get grafted in as Paul says in Romans 11, right? Israel was broken off, and the Gentiles and the church, everybody that was in the church, which is everybody who believes, Jews and Gentiles, are grafted in. And so that's that wide call in the parable to all individuals by the apostles that Christ sent out that represented him. So a couple of, of, of principles uh, from this story. The rejection of God's grace merits the wrath of God's judgment. If you reject his provision and come your own way or don't come at all and neglect it, then there's going to be consequences. There's going to be the wrath of God at judgment day. Secondly, if all our attention is directed to the stuff in this world and all our possessions and our business and whatever we're doing, our activities, we may miss the things of God. We may miss the things of God. If you remember uh, Jesus in that very first parable, the parable of the soils, what did, the soils, what did he say? He said, why wouldn't they take the word of God and believe in it? And he said, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pursuit of pleasure distract them so thoroughly that they get totally unfocused and they just literally, almost, they can't come because they're totally focused on everything that's going on in their life. Okay? And then third principle, God has invited everybody to the banquet. The invitation's broad, but you must come according to the God's provision his, through His Son who atoned for our sin, and we receive it by faith. It's just that simple. In Revelation 19.9, the, you know, the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, the very end of the last book, you have the second coming of Christ. And at the second coming of Christ, there's two great feasts, one of which is spoken of here in this parable, this great wedding feast. And so you have two great feasts in, in Revelation 19, just before Christ comes back. You've got what is called the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is Christ with His church. All right? And then after the second coming, there's another feast, and it's a post-Armageddon feast. And believe me, you don't want to be invited to that feast. <laughs> Make sure you're in the first one. Be absolutely positive. And so the choice is obvious. But again, you know, the great concern is that so many people who say they believe in God, and we all know them, will actually come in shorts and flip-flops. They're just, that's, 
that's what they're doing. They're coming their way, and they're actually independent of God, and they just flaunt it, and it does not honor the Son. So Jesus' analogy of coming in your own way, that doesn't honor God, and he's not going to put up with it. So make sure you're on the right track and you believe exclusively being saved by the blood of Christ. He is your Savior and not anybody else. Not me, not yourself, but Jesus. And we honor God when we come through Christ. In the parable, the wedding clothes probably uh, makes most sense to me that they represent, in Revelation 19, the saints in the church is wearing these beautiful white robes. And it says that that represents the righteousness of Christ. We have no righteousness of our own, but we come dressed in the righteousness of Christ, which has been given to us by the grace of God. And so let's receive that. Let's wear that garment and not our own. And as I close in prayer today, I just if you've never done that, I pray that in the quiet of your heart you would actually pray you know, for God to come into your life, commit yourself to, to Him through Christ, and uh, just begin a whole new spiritual life based on Him. No longer living for yourself, but for Him. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with these great stories, these wonderful parables that illustrate spiritual truths that maybe we've never thought of before, uh, never worked through before, never understood before. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus' teaching, what it it has meant to us, how it has convicted us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't uh, believed in Jesus and received him as their Savior, they would do so today. And in his name we pray, amen.